This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Today, economic development goes to the core of every U.S. state's ability to be competitive, to grow and retain jobs, and fuel economic prosperity. For example, the state of Maryland is achieving this goal through a series of initiatives introduced to increase competitiveness and transform economic development programs to meet the modern business needs of the 21st century. The state's Department of Commerce plays an integral role in fostering an economic development culture in Maryland that will maximize its greatest assets and create quality jobs. How is Maryland attracting and retaining businesses in all regions of the state? What industries are growing in Maryland? And how does the Maryland Department of Commerce promote the state and enhance its economic prosperity? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Mike Gill, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mike. I look forward to it. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Don Finhagen. Welcome, Don. Thanks, Mike. So, Mike, before we delve into the specific initiatives, could you give us an overview of the history and continued evolution of the state of Maryland's Department of Commerce? When was it created and how has its mission evolved to date? Yeah, good start, Mike. Um, Department of Business of Commerce today, uh, originally, and I think we have to go back over 20 years ago, maybe even more closer to 30, when it was, uh, they called it DEED, you know, the Division of the Department of, uh, of, of Economic Development. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it evolved. Somebody said, well, let's put a B in there. <laughs> so we got from that to the Division, to the Department of Business and Economic Development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then through, uh, through an effort of the Augustine Commission back in 14, there was a piece of legislation to change the name to Department of Commerce. And there were a couple things driving it. One, commerce was a more universal term. It, it captured a broader spectrum of assets mm-hmm. than, say, in the bi- Division of Business and Economic Development. And personally, Mike, I felt it played in really, really effectively to – my early thoughts about how we wanted to redirect and reprioritize the focus of economic development. And I've said often to people, economic development, if I, when you think of it in the purest terms, it sounds like a department. Yeah. Think about it. The Department of Business and Economic Development. And I said, economic development, you know, that is a department. Commerce is a culture. Yeah. Okay. So I've loved the evolution from DEED to DBED, lots of acronyms. Yeah to Department of Commerce. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how is your department organized? Would, how, could you give us a sense of its operational footprint? Yeah, just to give you kind of uh, the factoids. Yeah. Factoids, uh, 
200 plus minus team members make up commerce. Uh, we're headquartered in the World Trade Building in uh, downtown Baltimore, uh, the building that William Donald Schaefer, former mayor, former governor, had the vision for going on 30 plus years ago. It's a landmark building that sits in the Inner Harbor. We have uh, roughly six business units that make up commerce, everything from our office of, of uh, public affairs and legislative uh, policy issues to the division of, of federal agencies and military to administration and technology, to business development, our finance programs, to our international trade group, to our marketing team. Uh, and then we have tourism, film, and arts as part of commerce. And it is. It's commerce. So it's a, gr- it's a great mixture of things. And uh, we also oversee the uh, welcome centers in this. So when you go through one next time, say, hey, that's one of Mike's places. <laughs> Something like that. So that's, that's what we look like. That's our, that's our profile. And I think the budget, rough, roughly speaking, is 150 million plus minus, which is not only the the the, the basics of administration, but it's it's also our programs, mm-hmm. which are all in place to to enhance and and promote business in Maryland. Great, great. Well, it's a pretty diverse mission. Uh, can can you talk a little bit about your responsibilities as Maryland's Secretary of Commerce? You know, Donnie, I've known you a long time, and I know you still believe I'm just the pretty face of commerce. But I actually have responsibilities. You know, I thought about, Don, the anticipation of seeing you and Mike and thinking about the things we might talk about. And my role, you know, you you could, to simplify it, for those who, who might be listening to our conversation today, I'm somewhere between the head coach, I'm somewhere between the CEO, I'm somewhere between offensive coordinator, because at the end of the day, our mission is to move the ball on all things economic development, all things business, all things that enhance businesses in Maryland and all the other assets. So it's a combination of all the above, head coach, offensive coordinator, CEO, cheerleader, talent scout, because we'll never be any better than the last person we hired and whether or not they can play at the level that we need them to play at. So, you know, Mike, with that uh, portfolio and with those roles, what would you say your top management challenges have been and how have you sought to address those challenges? Boy, another great question. You've, you've prepared for this a little bit, haven't you, Mike? <laughs> no, I think, I think we're clear. We at Commerce, we're, we're clear on mission. But like every mission... We're not a silo. Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, um, the challenge, which we're, we've made great headway, the challenge is really to get, to get proper buy-in from all those other entities where if we only execute on our end, we might be able to get 50, 60, 70 percent of the way there. But if you're going to get it in the end zone, there's going to be some other moving parts that we don't control. And I think where we've made a lot of progress is in engaging the other moving parts, other agencies, other departments, other cultures and thought processes into what we believe is important. And all the while, you know, driven by, uh, I like to say, I I call him the Gov, driven by uh, the Gov, uh, Governor Hogan, who, uh, just as a real quick story, because as I mentioned early on, I didn't spend a day in governing my life. And this opportunity came came to me. The governor, ironically, has never spent a day in government in his life. 
And I, I made that joke at an event. I said, can you imagine? You got your secretary of commerce and the governor. Between us, we don't have a day in, we don't even have a day at student government. It was the governor who, who offered the opportunity. It was my wife who didn't veto it. And, uh, and here I am in my four, I call it, I'm a senior now. It's my, I'm in my fourth year wow. with, uh, with an election in November. Has there been, uh, has there been, uh, challenges related to the evolution of when you became a department, when you took over? I mean, you are the first secretary. So what? how much of a change in culture did you experience well, when I, you took you, over? You know, a, a change in experience from my no, previous life or change in experience no. from what I think was there? The the institution, not... Yeah, another great question, Mike. Let me, let me put down another notch for you. That's your fourth great question, and we're early on. Now, I think I said to somebody... Um, I thought about it with the Dallas Cowboys years ago when they brought in the uh, the guy who's currently the coach, the red-haired guy, um, who's done a nice job. And I remember hearing him in an interview, and he said, and they said, well, what are you going to do to change the direction of the Cowboys? He said, well, I can't do anything overnight. Yeah. I mean, my players are my players. You know, I can I can bring in new coaches. I can get something going there. I can change routine. But he said, I got to work on the culture. So I knew that one of the things right out of the gate that we had an opportunity to change was culture. Mm -hmm. And the light bulb that went off like day two on the job was I was looking at something and it said that Maryland had 476,000 businesses. You know, one of those innocuous things. Okay, 400, what does that mean? Well, they they have a tax ID, they file a tax return, um, they have employees. And they range from uh, a two-person ice cream shop on Baltimore Avenue in Cumberland to Lockheed Martin, to McCormick, to the Marriott Corporation, Maryland-based companies. And I said, but what they all have in common is their customers. So at Commerce, all 476,000 are customers. And throughout our 200-plus team members and throughout other departments, we see them all as customers. And when you're a customer, you're constantly saying, how can we help you? So I think it has made the job and the mission a hell of a lot easier to be able to move on because they're customers. You know, coming in from the private sector and then the governor came yeah. in from the private sector as well. Yeah. You know, you have this you don't have this uh, this background of, of working in government, I guess. But you do have the, the benefit of coming in and bringing all this uh, you know, energy into the into the into the yeah. job. What, yeah. what was the one of the things, you know, that kind of coming from the private sector that surprised you the most coming in working in government and trying to change the culture in there? Yeah, I'll give you a, maybe maybe I can come up with one on, on, on each end of that barbell. On the one end of it, as it relates to people, because I said early on that, that you can, there, there's, a, there's a limit to how effective you can be if you don't have the, the players. Uh, the most positive thing out of the gate was in terms of expectation of talent, it exceeded whatever my expectations were. There was more talent than I would have guessed because we think of government. Mm-hmm. But in reality, these people are as capable as everywhere else. More often than not, it has to do with leadership. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's, it's not that this is a, this is a lousy employee who, who was born with a bad attitude and average skills. They're good people who just haven't had leadership. So the good surprise was as it relates to the level of talent that was really out there. That was very encouraging. Um, On the flip side, I I can't really even call it a negative, but 
I think people weren't accustomed to going as fast. I mean, their concept of going fast was a lot different than my comment of going fast. And I tell our people every day, if you, when, you, when you visited me over at the office before dining, you get that nice name tag down in the lobby. I had them put on the top of it, dream bigger, go faster. Because we, we say it all the time, dream bigger, go faster. Because you, you sh- show me a great organization, and I guarantee you they have a sense of urgency about everything. So we've had to we've had to teach people to pick up the pace. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's a function of leadership. Yeah, and I actually have a follow-on question to you, Mike, and, and it kind of complements Don's question about the private sector public sector dynamic. Is what are the characteristics of an effective leader, and what are some of your leadership principles? Great question. I think uh, humility is a big deal. I think it really is. I, I respect it in people. Mm-hmm. I think great leaders are as good at listening as they are at speaking. I think good leaders are clear on vision, on their vision. Not just clear on their vision, but they have the ability to articulate the vision and articulate it in simple language. I think good leaders, more often than not, um, would not necessarily make great jugglers in the carnival. Not necessarily. You do need to do some juggling, but at the same time, I'd much rather try to effectively juggle three balls and not have one drop than try to see if I can figure out how to juggle seven. And more often than not, if you can pick the right uh, areas of focus, the true ones that can move the needle, you know, there's never that many. You know, Harvard Business Review years years ago wrote an article about critical success factors. And they said even the largest corporations in the world have no more than five critical success factors. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, trying to, trying to keep it clean, keep it simple, keep it uh, in English, uh, what we're trying to do. What are the strategic priorities for the Maryland Department of Commerce? We will ask Mike Gill, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. is the mission of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection's Office of Field Operations? What are CBP's key strategic priorities? How is CBP pursuing innovative security strategies? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores those questions and more with John Wagner, Deputy Executive Assistant Commissioner, Office of Field Operations, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. That next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center Special Report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Mike Gill, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Don Fenhagen. Uh, so, Mike, uh, given your core mission and focus is creating and retaining jobs in every 
region of the state of Maryland. Uh, could you outline for us in the audience your strategic vision for the Maryland Department of Commerce? And more importantly, what are your core priorities? Yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll probably have to bounce back a little bit when I said you got to keep it simple, and you still do have to keep it simple. But if you think about all the elements that ultimately make a, for a strong economic development environment, um, and, I, and I identified this early on too, uh, Mike, as coming into this job. You know, I'm a, I'm a Marylander, spent most of my career here, was away with IBM for a short period, uh, went away to school, but I've been here most of my life. And I felt like I had a pretty good feel for, for Maryland, but I really didn't. I didn't really know how great our assets were because, again, you can't be great if you don't have – you can have a great attitude, and that's vitally important, but you need to have great assets as well. So one of the things that we did from the get-go is to really rethink, relook, reappreciate the assets that we do have, reappreciate the Port of Baltimore, mm -hmm. reappreciate our incredible industry sectors where we're, where we're either one, two, or three in all of them, be it cyber, be it life sciences, our strong healthcare system, our strong university system, strong aerospace, look at all those assets. And then you have to look at the assets from a geographical standpoint, because we're a very diverse state. Yeah. You have Baltimore, Maryland, where we have the huge healthcare presence. We have a lot of innovation going on around the Baltimore area. You have Capital Region and Montgomery County strong in life sciences, the significant non-military federal agencies that we have as assets. And then you have 15 counties of our 24 jurisdictions that we call rural, and they all have their own assets. So I think we almost had to do kind of a, a little bit more than a back of an envelope, a little bit less than a full-scale 14-page, uh, 14-section uh, 14 binder of the assets, mm -hmm. and then start to zero in through a strategic plan that we put together, which we called Best is a Standard. And our whole and our thought behind best as a standard is, whatever our best is, let's get there. Let's let's just get there. That's the focus. So, inventory the assets, mm -hmm. look at our strengths, partner with, and this was another big part of the strategy, partner with the individual jurisdictions, who all have to greater and lesser degrees their own. They call it economic development departments, but their own. Office of Commerce. Mm -hmm. So it's a partnership. We leverage our resources at the state level working with the local jurisdictions. So, so it's assets, it's resources, it's collaboration. It's, it's really now all of a sudden we are into a lot of spinning plates. Mm -hmm. So, Mike, what were some of the internal, key internal and external drivers and trends that kind of formed or shaped that strategy that you have? What are some of the things that are happening in the yeah. business environment. Well, yeah, let's 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 take something which which is on the minds of all of us. You can't open up uh, any newspaper whether it's uh, uh, the scuttlebutt in Salem, South Carolina or the Wall Street Journal without their word cyber appearing somewhere. And we've always we've had great cyber assets from the beginning, the very beginning. We have something with three letters. You told me not to use acronyms, but everybody knows that NSA, what NSA stands for. It's an unbelievable asset in the state. That it's in our state. And, be, and over 60,000 people work at the NSA Fort Meade campus. campus. Okay. We can make a business case, the state of Maryland, mm -hmm. 
Now, a lot of the world doesn't know this. It's almost like you have to you have to read deeper and be engaged in the industry, but we can make a business case that in the state of Maryland, we are the cyber capital of the world. We can make the business case. We can make the case because we have 17 centers of excellence in cyber, with NIST being an important driver. We can make the case because we, we, we crank out more uh, undergraduate degrees in cyber than any other state in the country. We can make the case because we have a factor of 5x more engineers associated with the cyber security industry than any other state in the country. We can make the case because we have Cisco, a major worldwide company, who has uh, in Columbia, Maryland, they have all the, the most of their cyber assets. And, sci- and they consider themselves the largest cyber company in the world because of the significance of their cyber assets. Um, so on many different fronts, cyber. So that's one where, Mike, we had to look at and say, how do we keep leveraging that? And then I can make a similar statement around life sciences and our positioning there and where we are and where we're going. I can make a similar statement around aerospace and, and uh, unmanned air, air, air aviation systems because of assets at a place called uh, Pax River Naval Air Station in St. Mary's County, where 27,000 people work, where some of the most advanced um, um, work goes on relative to uh, aircraft. Uh, of DOD and the Navy and things of that nature. So in all those areas, there's a good story to be told. Yeah. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you tell us more about the Maryland Economic Development Assistance Authority and FUN, which is an acronym, MEDF? Yeah, what does it do? How does it work? You know, and can you talk about how it's being modernized and recapitalized? And yeah. you know, are you rebranding the fund? Where Where is it going? Yeah, Donnie, it's interesting because I had a flashback when you just <laughs> did your very best to sort of mumble through that that acronym. My flashback was I was in the job for at least three or four weeks, and I'm in Annapolis during the legislative session. I'm with our team of people on our finance programs. Because they're taking me to the, they're, they're doing their tutorial with me to try to get me up to speed on all this stuff. And uh, so first they show me some spreadsheets that reminded me of my IBM days. They just went on and on and on back when we had spreadsheets. And then they started talking about something called MEDAF. And I went, I really said, we really have something called MEDAF? What the hell is it? But here's what it is. We've referred to it for almost 20 years when it, came, when it was introduced. We've referred to it as our workhorse. That's, that's a name. Uh, because once again, 85% of the businesses, maybe closer to 90, you know, have 100 or less uh, team members. And then there's a group. Then there's another big significant number that have probably 250 down. And then a handful that have 1,000 plus. MEDEF is focused on companies to help them grow and expand with the support of the government. And, and, and by the way, let me just say this about financially supporting companies. Um, I really believe that the role of government is one of more seed-like capital in support of businesses that have ideas or are looking to grow. So MEDEF, which we, uh, which we really refer to internally as Advantage Maryland, yeah. It's a little cleaner, simpler. Um, it's focused on capital investment. It's focused on job creation. 
Um, we cap out at $2 million of what we can provide to a company. The local jurisdiction of that company also has to kick in and be part of the deal. Uh, but it's a very good workhorse. We have $25, $30, 35000000 million to work with on any given year. Um, and, uh, and we can point to, over the period of 20-plus years, you know, tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, and the beautiful thing about MEDAF investment, Advantage Maryland, is that the investment of the company in relationship to what we might provide them, again, looking at a 20-year history, it's about 11 to 1. Wow. So we, we're investing $2 million. There's at least another $22, $25 that's coming in. And it just all, it's all economic impact. Well, you, you talked a lot about some of these uh, newer industries that Maryland's kind of the center of right now. Mm. Uh, cyber, you know, healthcare, uh, life sciences. With all these, you know, we have to re- retool our workforce. And so I think, you know, company investing and training and upskilling its workforce helps them maintain competitive edges. We have all these new companies in Maryland. You know, would you tell us more about the Partnership for Workforce Quality helping Maryland-based companies with training and skills development? And, you know, how is this program being revived and what industries do you uh, target with this program? Yeah, again, uh, Don, when I came when I came into this opportunity, um, uh, PWQ, as they like to call Partnership for Workforce Quality, you know, I've been around for a number of years and then it sort of fell off the oh. fell off the map. You know, previous I think the previous administration just had, had not put any money into the program and one of the things I heard early on from customers as I was out visiting companies around the state is, hey, bring that PWQ back. That was a great program. Yeah. So I'd go back to the office and say, what's PWQ? <laughs> and then we were fortunate enough over the last couple of years, the Gov uh, um, put some money into the budget to support a modest amount of money, a million dollars. I think the grants can be as low as $50,000 uh, to a company. I think it can go up to 200000 plus minus. It is meant to to upgrade skills. Mm-hmm. It is meant to help. And by, and by and large, it's smaller businesses yeah. that are accessing this program. But it's just in, in the scheme of, of 17 things that an enterprise needs to be successful, you know, monies to invest in training is, is just one of them. So I'm really, I really feel good. I'm very proud of the fact that we, uh, we're a participant right. in, uh, in workforce training and, and the investment needed. Awesome. Can, and can you, how, do, how do you support extraordinary economic development projects? And what are you doing to recapitalize the Economic Development Opportunities Fund or Sunny Day? Well, again, uh, where we've been on this, and it's been a vitally important tool, Mm-hmm. But it's a tool that is not – it's not sitting on a shelf prepackaged. And when that significant opportunity comes into play, we just walk over to the closet, open up the door, and grab it off the shelf. You know, in the situations that we've had opportunities over the last few years uh, – and, and again, this is an opportunity for me to also say to you because I, I get the question often about how do you measure success. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to folks – I'm a big believer in growth through retention. Mm -hmm. I think it starts with retention. If you can't keep all of your customers, then think how many more. Donnie, when uh, when I worked at IBM, uh, one of the expressions we used to use is if you lost a customer, you had to go find two. Mm -hmm. One to replace the one you lost and one to get back on track again. Mm -hmm. 
I look at exactly the same way. So the opportunity that presented itself over the last few years for us with the Marriott Corporation uh, and their investment, the state and the county have invested approximately $62 million using something like Sunny Day for part of that. But the Marriott Corporation, we're talking about 13,000 employees in the state of Maryland. We're talking about $600 million invested in small businesses through procurement activities. Yes. We're talking about huge economic impact. That is an inconsequential investment, but thank goodness we had a tool to address it. Northrop Grumman, very similar. They invest almost a billion dollars in procurement activities with small businesses in the, in the, within the state of Maryland. And McCormick, early on in the Governor Hogan's administration, McCormick, uh, an iconic Baltimore-based company, was looking at their options. And my joke was, well, you know, people would say, well, what do you think about that? McCormick looking around. And I'd say, well, personally, I think that any company that's been in the same place for 125 years deserves the right to look around to see if they want to stay another 125. And so it, it took, uh, it, it took a, a, a tool to be able to make sure that we secured these firms and, uh, and agree. I call, it, I call them thoughtful incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, where the return on investment, because at the end of the day, it's the taxpayer's money. And you look through the lens of the taxpayer and you say, is that a good investment of my tax dollars? And I would say, you bet it is. Mm-hmm. That's a great um, – yeah. it's an important thing to make the connection that uh, the Marriott's, the McCormick's, Northrop Grumman, that they're just not one company. They're, they're, their presence affects the ecosystem, the right. business yeah. ecosystem. So, you know, I was wondering with that in mind. We went 20 minutes without saying ecosystem. <laughs> that is that's unbelievable. Good. <laughs> that's good. Because that's, so, that's, a, that's a great word. It actually connects to the next question is over the past year, if we can make it just uh, time specific, how have you sought in the Department of Commerce sought to enhance its efforts in business outreach, and what are some of the key ways you do that? Uh, that's a great. That's a. Let's uh, see. That's your sixth great question, Mike. I've written it down. Um, let me give you a couple examples. We have uh, within commerce, we have regional reps. Mm-hmm. We have twelve regional reps spread among twenty-four jurisdictions. Their mission in life, when they wake up in the morning is to be so close to the businesses in that particular jurisdiction, so close to the leadership, so close to the, to the chambers and the economic development people that we know what's going on. So we're there to help. We're there to assist. We're there to communicate, two-way communication, communicate to us. Um, we communicate to them. And then we created something at that same time early on called Platinum 500. I got a great leader named Steve Pennington who heads up our, our business development team, our finance programs, our strategic industries. And, uh, and Platinum 500 is where we've done our best to identify throughout the state what we think of as 500 key accounts. Mm-hmm. Some of them are obvious. Marriott's obvious. Um, McCormick is obvious. Um, but, but a company down in, in, in Cambridge, Maryland, uh, who, is in the, who has 14 in employees is not as obvious. Mm-hmm. So every county, we've identified 500, not by county, total overall. We have a real structured strategy every 30, every quarter, we have a, a meeting. You'd be amazed at how many of the CEOs want to be there for the meeting. And we start off by saying, 
how are things going? Have you had a need to use any of our services or any of the other government agency services of Maryland? One of the great things about it is we picked up on the fact two years ago through one of these meetings, a major player, a publicly traded significant company that everybody knows, headquartered in Baltimore County, we, we had a meeting with them. The CEO said, I want to be at the meeting. And he basically uh, opened up on what he didn't like about how Maryland was on certain things. And he said, he said, we're going to look around. So guess what? Not only did they look around, they not only recommitted to Maryland, they're putting up a new 200,000 square foot building. They've, they've doubled down on what they're already doing. And I'm not sure if we hadn't had something a little more structured to be getting in front. So I think the regional rep program, Platinum 500, that's made a difference. We also have an outreach program that goes outside of the borders of Maryland, where by industry sector and through other methodologies, we've tried to identify opportunities that of companies that might fit in Maryland for different reasons. Wonderful. Getting into sort of the the nuts and bolts, but Mike, what was the purpose and intent of the Commerce Subcabinet? What prompted its creation, and um, what are some of the uh, issues it's dealing with and some of the challenges it's dealing with? The Commerce Cabinet, I, I've said to someone the other day that um, someday uh, when when they put former in front of, of my title, um, one of the things I'll reflect back on as something that I really think was a game changer, had big impact, was the Commerce Cabinet. Um, the evolution of it was was in the, uh, the August Dream Report talked about the need for more collaboration between agencies, things of that nature. So we, so we developed uh, the concept of a commerce cabinet. There's seven agencies that make it up. It's uh, the environment, it's labor relations and regulation, it's housing, it's Department of Transportation, it's commerce, it's governor's office of small business, and minorities, it's planning. Seven agencies. We had our first meeting over three years ago. At that first meeting with the cabinet secretaries there, I gave them all a goodie bag. Goodie bag had three items in it. You've already guessed that one was probably a copy of my favorite book, Little Engine. Uh, one was a magic wand because I said sometimes things get really tricky and it might take a little bit of magic. Uh, I gave him an eight ball. I also gave him an eight ball because I said, look, sometimes you're called on to make really big decisions and you need an additional tool in your, in your, in your toolbox. Here's an eight ball. And we always say two out of three. Yep. So net, net. And I gave him a copy about Disney. And I said, we need to pick priorities because we're not wasting each other's time coming together and doing nothing. I'm not into those kind of meetings. So we focused, we decided out of the gate to focus on customer service, inside government. I said, why can't we be Disney? No one said, is there a book that says state agencies are supposed to deliver the worst customer service in the world? And we're changing the game. We're using Net Promoter Score. We, ha we have training programs. We have recognition programs. 55,000 state employees are engaged in this. I'll put where we are today, and we're just getting started up against any state in the country in terms of customer service. Job creation was another key part of it. We identified 120 major opportunities around the state. They didn't all have to be big. Once again, if you're Caroline County, 20 new jobs could be a big deal. Yeah. 
So the idea of job creation was to make sure that these agencies, and by the way, the reason why these agencies make up the, the cabinet is because they're the ones who touch customers the most. And one of the things we set out of the gate, no silos, no silos. It is seamless between agencies. We work together. The other thing we said early on, if you have a significant project and in the good old days of government being government, and it takes you four years before you're cutting the ribbon, why can't we cut the ribbon in 18 months? Things don't have to sit in an in-basket forever. So I think we've really also reduced the amount of time it takes to go from a cool idea mm-hmm. to, uh, to Peter Francho being happy because new tax revenues are showing up in Annapolis. Commerce cabinets made a difference. How does the Maryland Department of Commerce promote the state and enhance its economic prosperity? We will ask Mike Gill, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Mike Gill, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Don Fenhagen. Mike, you know, building the Maryland brand is key to the department's mission. To that end, uh, would you tell us more about the Maryland Marketing Partnership and how it works, and how does it attract uh, and grow businesses in your state? Yeah, Mike, this is, uh, one once again, this was a... Uh, when the Augustine Commission came out the report in the beginning of 15, they had spent a year going around the state just asking, having, having uh, um, uh, roundtables and having town halls and that sort of thing, just asking opinion from the business community about uh, what they thought of Maryland, what they thought of, of, uh, of how they were treated, all the above, and what they – Commission heard consistently is not a friendly place, not a friendly place, no brand. And Maryland didn't have a brand. So because one of the things I do believe wholeheartedly in about brands, if you're going to have a brand that sort of says uh, um, uh, thoughtful investors, well, are you really? Or is that just a nice moniker? Uh, I'd say to groups of people, Mike, I'd say to – it'd be – 20 people in a room or it'd be 100, and I'd say, hey, does anybody ever remember a Maryland brand? And they would say, somebody would raise their hand once in a while and yell out, land of pleasant living. 
And I'd say, no, no, no. That was national beer. That wasn't Maryland. Hey, some, every now and again, someone would yell out, American miniature. I went, well, you're right. They, they promoted that for about uh, three days. Did that one get you excited? So we decided early on through the P3 concept, we created an executive advisory board made up of some really terrific people um, who came from all walks of life in private industry and as well as nonprofit world and government. Uh, we have an executive director who's also our head of marketing for the for the uh, organ for our organization of commerce, um, and we set out to develop a brand, retain a marketing firm, raise money in the private sector, which we've had forty plus companies who said we're all in. We zeroed in and decided to go with Maryland Open for Business. We played around with sort of clever stuff that maybe had a double entendre, and we said. Fooey on all that. Let's just go right to the juggler. Maryland open for business. And when you make a statement like that, you better deliver. Yeah. So that became our, our, our launch point. And in the last 12 months, we launched the BWI. You know, everybody's been to BWI and you see the banners and, mm -hmm. and all that jazz. And, and you see open for business. And you see images of, of, of uh, cyber. You see images of agriculture. You see images of aerospace. Um, we're uh, heavy on digital media. We're heavy on billboards. We're heavy on banners in places like the Wall Street Journal. We've identified 10 to 12 states where we believe because of the profile of those states relative to business, relative to geography, that we want them to know Maryland's open for business. Uh, I'll now go into a group of people and I'll say, hey, how many people have seen open for business somewhere? I can be in a room of 50 and just about every hand will go up. But once again, just getting started. Because this was not something, Maryland was not into business. Mm -hmm. They just, it just wasn't, it was, a, it was an afterthought. It was one of the other things that came out of the commission. It said, Maryland's been trying to live off of government jobs, which is a, which is a, and take this correctly, audience, whoever's listening, that's a losing strategy. You want to look at the government jobs as a wonderful opportunity to build additional opportunities from, not as the sole source of, of whatever your success might be. So that's, it's working. That's great. And as a, as a, as a lifelong Marylander, I thank you because we, we all want to see more companies come into the state. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's great. great to see. And, yeah, everyone, everyone knows it. And I think you know, going on that, you know, everyone knows about Maryland Open for Business. I think one part of your, your strategic focus is – not only having people in the United States understand that Maryland is open for business, but people in the global community understanding that Maryland's open for business. And I guess maybe can you talk a little bit about your your strategy on you know getting us better known globally, um, and what kind of you know foreign direct investment and outreach are you doing to uh, target some of these countries you want to work with? Yeah, again, Don, great great question. Um, and again, and we're, and we're a natural. Maryland's a natural to build on the international trade opportunities. We have a wonderful leader named Signa Pringle. Uh, she's a native of Estonia, came here when she was early 20s, went to the University of Baltimore, uh, got her undergraduate degree or MBA. She is a very, very impressive uh, individual. Um, she has a strong team of individuals who focus on foreign direct investment opportunities. You know, export Maryland initiatives where we work with small, medium-sized businesses in Maryland who have a desire to move their goods and services to other countries. 
we have approximately 27, 28 individuals on retainer uh, who are scattered throughout the world uh, looking for opportunities that fit within our footprint of Maryland and with when our strengths are. When I said we're fortunate, um, where we are, we're, we're next door to where the money is. It's called Washington. And companies from other countries who are looking to move their goods and services, like Israel, I've been on a trade mission with the Gov to Israel, blown away. It's 8 million people. It's the size of New Jersey. And pound for pound, there's not a country in the world who is intensely focused, committed, successful around uh, security, around IT, around healthcare innovation, and they and they start and they want to be here. Um, Canada, we did a trade mission to Canada, great country. You know, they're our number one trading partner. Not surprising because of where they're located, uh, things of that nature. We have a strong relationship with Japan as as a trading partner. Um, uh, life, life sciences and aerospace, uh, we, we go to the air show typically um, in, uh, in Farnsborough, England, or in outside of Paris, France, where we take some of our small businesses who are already doing business with in the space and in foreign countries to help them. We provide them small stipends, $6,000 to help offset costs, and, uh, and we're seeing progress. Our Port of Baltimore Think about that as another asset that plays into our international positioning. So it's an area where we've had success. uh, And again, I think we have a lot more room for for even taking that to another level. So, you know, we were talking about different industries, different sectors and um, foreign investment. What about manufacturing? What are you doing to attract or to uh, enhance the manufacturing sector in the state of Maryland. Yeah. Um, Mike, this is a, uh, a, along with tourism and a couple other areas, you know, when I, when I see the gov, I mean, I usually, I usually can anticipate him saying it to me, Mike, how are we doing with some of our tourism stuff? Mike, how are we doing manufacturing? Um, manufacturing in Maryland is growing. It has never been, um, it has never been more than somewhere in the neighborhood plus minus 6% of our economy in the state of Maryland. Um, I mean, back in the days of widgets, when we had a place like place like Bethlehem Steel with 35,000 employees at Sparrows Point, we had a Martin Marietta 100 years ago down the street from there with 35,000 employees building planes during World War II and afterwards. Um, Maryland was considered a manufacturing uh, state, and, and those jobs either went offshore or they went to other places. But what's in our sweet spot is advanced manufacturing because we're really smart. We have more scientists, engineers, uh, smart, well-educated people per capita than any state in the country. So when we talk about 3D as an example, taking it to the next level, we just announced recently something that we're referring to as AMP. It's a consortium. The Army Research Lab is a major player in this. It's a facility that exists up in Hartford County. It's called the Heat Center. Uh, it's where we're going to bring together uh, with ARL playing a major role as a headliner. We're going to bring together many different industry groups like Orbital ATK and Northrop and General Electric and uh, and Com- Lidos and companies like that. 
3D systems, the major 3D printing company in the world will may have to be a major player. We're going to work closely with Aberdeen Proving Ground. I mean, we're going to try to do advanced tech transfer, commercialization type things in the most collaborative environment possible. So it really is something that fits well inside of our world. So manufacturing, um, I, 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 I was watching uh, Phil Knight, the uh, founder of Nike, on an interview with uh, – uh, David uh, Rubenstein, recently of Carlisle, uh, it was uh, it was excellent. One thing that uh, Phil Knight said was he anticipates that manufacturing is going to continue to grow in the United States. And then he paused and he goes, "But we're not necessarily talking about a lot of jobs. It's just that we'll take advantage of our technology, our technological excellence. So that's why Maryland is going to continue to see growth." And the beautiful thing is about advanced manufacturing versus traditional manufacturing is the pay scales are significantly greater for, for that type of uh, environment. Uh, and Stanley Black & Decker, um, uh, though they have minimal manufacturing in Maryland today, which I uh, would hope and anticipate in the future we'll have a lot more of, um, they are a tremendously innovative company that um, was headquartered here as Black & Decker. And now Stanley Black and Decker, but they have over 3,000 people in the state of Maryland, um, and uh, very innovative. And um, I, I think we'll continue to have growth in manufacturing. Advanced. I think the jobs, not, the jobs are just going to look very different. Yeah, they're different. It's it's you know some people use the expression uh, 4.0 manufacturing, mm-hmm. which has a lot more analytics to it, has a lot more robotics to it, you know, has a lot more. Um, uh, technology associated with everything. We like to call them new collar jobs. I like that. I like that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Good. I'm gonna borrow that one. You know, Mike, you've mentioned uh, the outstanding cultural and tourism destination that Maryland is. Uh, I'd like you to tell us about some of the recent efforts in this area. Maybe perhaps you could share some of the successes that underscores this reality. Yeah, tourism's a big deal in the state of Maryland. Mike, I'll say right out of the gate, when you look at the, at the, at the uh, tourism spend in the state of Maryland, it's approaching $18 billion. If you look at the number of people employed in the industry, it's like one out of, one out of nine, one out of ten in some way are, are associated with tourism. Tourism is Baltimore and, and many things around it. Tourism is Annapolis. Tourism is the Eastern Shore and Ocean City. But tourism is also uh, hiking trails in Western Maryland. Tourism is the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad on the Eastern Shore and all things in between the waterfowl and the Ward, P- and the Ward family, things of that nature. Um, I heard a great number when I came into this position, and that is that if tourism went away tomorrow, We'd, all of us Maryland residents, Mr. Francho would need us to put another $1,000 in our tax return if it went away tomorrow because it's that impactful. And I think the other thing, besides it being financially impactful, and that ought to be like the, the subplot, being financially important to the state, is it adds to the quality of life in the state immensely, along with the arts. We have 25 art and entertainment districts in the state of Maryland. These are areas, these are physical areas that we, they have gotten grants from the state of Maryland. They've created cool stuff. The most recent one we just added was Chrisfield, Maryland, which is, which is, is well known as a cool place. 
And I think that this becoming an art and entertainment district will help them in incrementally to, to go back to being a cool place because it's slipped. And I think it'll pick it back up again. So tourism matters. Pound for pound, we're as good as anywhere in the United States. We ain't Florida because we don't have 75-degree days in February. <laughs> um, but we also don't have uh, all, the, all the summer months being brutal for whatever you want to do. So tourism, big deal. Liz Fitzsimmons, she's our leader. And uh, her and her team just do a fabulous job in tourism. That's great. Well, thanks. Thanks for all the time today. I mean, you know, you look back. You know, thank you for all the energy you brought to this uh, this interview. I mean, as you yeah. get to the, as you get to the the end of you know your first your term here in this in this role, you know, what are some of the th- things you're going to look back on as the department's most significant wins of late? You know, what are the what are the the biggest wins that you can you know sit there and tout? You know, whether you want to put it in the win column or the or the secure column, like secure as opposed to secure. Yeah. The, the secure column. Uh, I certainly think Northrop Grumman and Marriott and uh, and McCormick and many others. Uh, but starting with those those three that people are familiar with uh, mattered, really mattered. Um, the ecosystem that Mike uh, mentioned a little while back. They all create huge ecosystems. You look at a you look at a Northrop Grumman, and for every one job that exists uh, directly at Northrop Grumman, which is roughly ten thousand team members in the state of Maryland, it adds another you know two to two point two jobs on top of that. So I think the securing of those iconic firms for the long term that was a big deal. But then you look at things like GSK, uh, GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, life sciences. They're in Montgomery County. They're they're a major player in the area of uh, of uh, of immunization and uh, and things of that nature. And about three years ago, I signed an NDA, and the next thing I know, I walked into a conference room, and there's about five GSX people saying we intend to create the third most significant uh, immunization operation in the in, in the world in Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's going to go along with Sweden. It's going to go along, I think, with, uh, I think with uh, England, and uh, and this will be the third one. And GSK now has grown to thousands of people, and that and that was a big deal because they saw the environment where they could be successful. That's the other benefit of having of having concentration is that you're going to find people who have skill sets that are already set to go and to do something different. But at the same time, when you look at companies like Tenable that in 2002 was a startup and, and now today they're about ready to do an IPO, they, they, we broke ground with them about a month ago on a 250,000 square foot building in the Columbia Town Center, major player in the cyber industry. Um, and I think as you go through, the, the other thing, and I didn't get a chance, Mike, when we talked earlier, to, but I, thinking about it, again, as I talked about great assets and what makes Maryland so strong, we're very diversified. Mm-hmm. You see, previously, we thought we were just a, a place where everybody worked for the government. Yeah. Uh, and it is an important place uh, for, for the government groups. But we're so diversified. We just didn't realize it. Right. I said we were the fine. We were the pain when you, the people that we've always heard about, somebody who bought an old house, and there was some crazy paint or something on a wall. And they started stripping it off, and there's a Mona Lisa. 
<laughs> and in the case of Maryland, we started stripping away some of this stuff, and we saw one Mona Lisa after another. So building on the diversification of what we already have, continuing to have the wins in the various industry sectors, continuing to make sure that those who are here are happy, because in a good economy, about one out of every three companies is growing, expanding, adding jobs. But they need to be here in order to add the jobs. So again, it's been a lot of fun, and, uh, and we really are just getting started. Mike, before we end, you know, I want to ask you, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about maybe doing some time in public service? Uh, I'd say don't think about it. Do it. No, and I, I, think, I think the other thing I would say is, is it, I think this is important. It would be important to either one of you if you, uh, if somewhere you're both young guys, you both have other things, you know, this may not be your last gig. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that you would, would weigh heavily on you if you were to look at something else would be the culture. You'd look at the leadership. You'd see whether or not there's a match, whether or not you believe that who you are and what you think are your strengths that you bring to something is the leadership at that enterprise. Do they do are they do they have a similar outlook? And if they don't have a similar outlook, then you're probably not ready to jump. Um, so that those individuals who might be thinking of trying something as uh, daredevil as me, most most of my friends said, "Oh, he won't make it to year two. <laughs> I mean, somewhere up in Baltimore County, there was a lot of money on the line about what the over and under was on Mike Gill being the Secretary of Commerce beyond year two, and I fooled them all. You did. And I've loved every minute of it. That's great. Well, thank you for your time today, and uh, Don and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the citizens of the great state of Maryland. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Don. Thank Appreciate it. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Mike Gill, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce. My co-host from IBM has been Don Fenhagen. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. How is the mission of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection's Office of Field Operations? What are CBP's key strategic priorities? How is CBP pursuing innovative security strategies? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores those questions and more with John Wagner, Deputy Executive Assistant Commissioner, Office of Field Operations, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. That next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.